Asia Tech Podcast. Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown, joined today by Andrea Lubia, who is the CEO and co-founder of Mailbird. Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Andrea, before we talk a bit about Melbourne, we've got to talk about where you are in the world today, because this is mm-hmm. going to be of interest to the listeners off the bat. Mm-hmm. Where are you? I am in Bali, Indonesia. Yeah, Bali, Indonesia. Life. A little tropical island. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereabouts in Bali? Some, I mean, some of our listeners will know where, yeah. you know. Um, I am currently in Canggu, mm. um, in Bali, which is on the west coast um, kind of southwest coast of the island. Um, it's attracting a lot of more tourists these days. It has great surf, uh, a lot of great restaurants, all this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a, it's an amazing place to be. I mean, I, I think people's image of Bali is paradise, more or less. I mean, it's obviously not without its challenges. And mm-hmm. there there is a scene there as well, isn't there? There's certainly a digital nomad scene that's been there for oh, yeah. a wow. while, isn't it? Yeah, but, it's huge. <laughs> Especially around, I went there a couple of years ago. I went to Hubbard and mm-hmm. I met Steve Monroe at Hubbard, which ah, is, yeah. it's just awesome. You never expect it. You just, you go to this tiny little, I mean, it is a small city in, yeah. in the middle of the center of, of Bali, isn't it? And, you know, yeah. people sort of go there traditionally to go and see the monkeys or, you know, the. <laughs> yeah. They actually had one of the monkeys are right next to this monkey forest or whatever in Ubud. Um, and they actually had a monkey that did get into the co-working space. They, they, all of a sudden they whipped out like this rubber bullet gun just to kind of get it scared away. Oh, I'm like, wow, wow okay. They're I'm pretty falling. aggressive these days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. But it's like, a, I mean, that whole sort of co-working space is, it's, uh, it's in the middle of a rice field, isn't it? It's made out of bamboo and you could be, I remember it's sitting there, bamboo, yeah, yeah, I was sitting there looking at the guy on my right, like a, you know, working on some app and on the left, there's somebody from Google. Oh, this is pretty phenomenal. This is like something else. So there's a bit of a scene down there, but I didn't really see, I mean, here's the thing. I didn't really sort of meet or bump into, maybe they were just sort of away from the co-working spaces, like people who are actually building proper businesses like you down there, you know, rather than sort of the freelancing. Is there much of that going on in Bali? Yeah, it's a mix. And and that's, I've I've been asked this before actually. And it's funny when you go to these co-working spaces, you meet a lot of people and, you know, half the time you're like, oh, hey, what do you do? You don't remember what everyone's actually doing, (laughs) obviously. But I I do have a, um, a sense just from the people that I've been talking to at different co-working spaces that a lot of people are doing kind of like remote freelance work. A lot of them are working with teams mm. um, that have a distributed like work culture. Um, so similar to us um, at Mailbird, like we have our team kind of distributed all over the world. Um, so anyone can kind of work from anywhere. Mm. So I ran into a lot of that. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a little speckle here and there of people starting their own businesses, their own apps, their own, you know, technology startups or whatever. Um, but then also people just doing some freelance work here and there. Um, other people who are actually working for full, full on companies who allow distributed mm. um, team structures. So a little mix of this and that. I mean, it may, it may sound like a stupid question, but you know, why Bali? You know, it's like kind of maybe just say like, why not? But you know, exactly. why, why did you choose there? What's the sort of, you know, how does that fit into your background? So I, Indonesia has kind of had a special place 
in my heart, mm. <laughs> um, in that, you know, I, when I was younger, I, I lived in Indonesia in Jakarta actually, um, from 91 to 1999, um, before moving to the U S and I was in the U S for 13 years. Um, so I came to kind of like a crossroads in my career when I was deciding, you know, okay, what do I want to do next? And I was introduced to one of my, my co-founders and business partners for Mailbird um, through another friend. And we started talking and he was like, yeah, well, I'm in Bali. Why don't you come over here and we'll chit chat more about, you know, how, how we can start building this company, Mailbird. It's like, okay. So I went and for me, it was like, this is amazing. It's like dream come true. You get to live wow. on an island, start your own company, which is something I've always wanted to do and also gain some, some international like business experience, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was just kind of like a no brainer. I mean, of course, a lot of, you, you do have to adjust to many different things. Let's say that you wouldn't be used to, um, having lived in, you know, the U S or in Europe, you know, or we'll say first world countries. Mm -hmm. So there are adjustments here and there. Um, but otherwise it's, it's a fantastic place to live and internet's a lot better than it was when I, when I first moved here in 2012, um, sometimes even better than some, some states in, in the U S you know, like when I go back home, I'm like, wow. Wow. Yeah, That's yeah. another story. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you left, you left Indonesia in 99 to go to the States, your family moved to the States, right? So, Correct. yeah. so your, and then you sort of came back in 2012, but you had a conversation before that with your co-founder about Melbourne and the idea of moving to Bali as well. So your, your image of Indonesia would have been shaped by your, impression in the 90s and you know living through that so kind of, yeah so moving back to bali as a place to start a business especially when you grew up in the states it must have been i mean for you i know you say it's no brainer but in the back of your mind you must be thinking wow is this really a place where i can build a business absolutely it, it's just it's weird it's like all of the the things that would make you say no to doing it I think I just kind of threw it out the door and said, Hey, you have nothing to lose. Let's, let's right. give it a shot and let's go and let's see what happens. It's like, it's not like I had to stay in Bali if, you know, for whatever reason I didn't like it. Um, but you know, it was kind of like, this is, was an exciting thing, um, for me to pursue in terms of my professional career. So I decided that I would do it and mm. you know, what did, what did I have to lose? So I did it and it's probably the best decision I've ever made, um, mm. in my working professional life. So it's been incredible. I think I've learned more in starting, you know, this company than I have in all of my schooling, you know? Yeah. So it's been awesome. Yeah. We'll, we'll unpack that in a minute. Talk a little bit more about um, that move as well and coming to Indonesia. Yeah. I mean, I came to, I mean, you were in the Indonesia in the 90s. I came to Indonesia in first time in 1990, I don't know, four. Five. Like oh, wow. back, oh, nice. yeah. Backpacking when Suharto was still in power. Wow, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it, obviously a lot's changed since then. But I mean, I know you say it's got a place in your heart, but I really did fall in love with Indonesia. I spent two months. I started yeah. in Jakarta and I went all the way out to Flores, which is like one wow. of the like, yeah, you know, awesome. Komodo, Sumbawa. And, and mm -hmm. I know a lot of people go to Lombok now, but when I went yeah. to Lombok, it was, there was nothing. <laughs> there was just reed huts, really. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was, there was something special, something magical. I don't know what it was about Indonesia, something magical that the people were so nice, mm -hmm. you know, so friendly. Yeah. And, you know, people wanted to help. And, you know, people were really laid back, maybe too, you know, there's yeah. all that sort of concept of, 
was they called jam karat or something. I can't remember what it's called. Was it rubber time? I don't know what it is. Some <laughs> we we have that in Bali. We say, oh, you're it's, if someone's late, which is usually most of the time, it's like, oh, they're just on Bali time, right? Bali yeah. schedule. <laughs> Bali time. It's very flexible. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I got the sense that I mean, you know, going back to this to sort of point about a place to start a business, I thought, well, you know, I looked around and I think if you went to any of the cities, and this was sort of, I guess, mm-hmm. um, symptomatic of the time, that the men were sort of sitting around smoking, you know, and they'd all be sitting around smoking their, their you know, their Cretic cigarettes. Yes. Day yeah. in, day out. And they, they didn't seem to do anything apart from laugh. And all the women were working. They were like, you know, hauling yeah. big sort of sticks on their yeah. back. And yeah, it's th- still going on. Yeah, it's <laughs> still going on. I th- when I look at that, I thought, wow, that's no place to start a business. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the big factor, obviously, in all of this that made makes this possible for someone, you know, from the US to come to, you know, this room, well, it's not remote, remote, but to this, this island, you know, in, in Southeast Asia, to start a company is possible because of technology. Mm. And so, yeah, it's just, this is just the future of work and, you know, where I, I see things moving. Yeah. So Bali just so happens to be one of those places that's attracting a lot more of these quote unquote, digital nomads, if you will, or entrepreneurs that can literally work from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, other places, obviously in Southeast Asia, um, like Chiang Mai is another big hub. Um, Singapore as well now is growing, but that's more city, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. It's been really interesting to kind of be part of that major shift from the beginning. Yeah. So that's really cool. Well, I think, I think the digital nomads pioneered it and made it possible. They were the risk takers. They had less to lose, really, didn't they? And now people like yourself we're seeing a lot more of people like you who are entrepreneurs really rather than digital nomads who are building businesses and teams, if you like. And I think, you know, the next wave is the corporates and that's the possibility, isn't it? That you talk about the future of work. It could well be the case that, you know, a bank has a hundred people based down in Bali, you know, just living out of a co-working space. It could well be the case. And we're starting to see that in less sort of, you know, frontier cities that, People are doing that, moving out of the big offices and so on. So, I, you know, I think Bali as an option, well, it's only going to go in one direction, isn't it? More people are going to look at it and think, wow, you know, I, I could do like Andrea, right? I could do this. I could set my business up here. Okay, well, let's talk about Melbourne. Let's talk about what exactly it is that you do as a business. How did that all come about? I know you said there was a conversation. What was the genesis mm-hmm. of Melbourne? So it, it just kind of came up um, between me and the two guys that I started this company with. Um, the conversation came about because of frustration with email. And one of the things that I think we didn't really, you know, have that I think is kind of an essential part of transitioning into, you know, having a professional job right out of college um, is how to manage information. Like dealing with like, so that was the first thing that I remember at my first corporate job right out of college. I was working with a market research firm and we used Outlook, for example. Wow. And not really having adamant training on properly managing like information that floods through your inbox is like a a pretty major you know fault, I think, for for the educational system. So it kind of started with that, you know. At work, it was like I would dread coming in because I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have so many emails to deal with. <laughs> and then you'd end up not doing anything, right, you know, right. in terms of moving moving things um, that you need to get done in a day because you're just trapped in your inbox. So kind of start from that, just general frustrations, looking at the, the tools and apps that were out there. And if you were on Windows, like you used Microsoft Outlook. Mm. And if you were at a corporate job, 
likely had a PC in there and you were using Microsoft Outlook. So I was kind of like, God, this is all there is. So then when we were looking at the um, Mac, you know, machines to see what email tools were out there, um, there was one that was called Sparrow. Mm. Um, it was this really like clean cut, super simple, worked really, really well for managing all of your Gmail email accounts. Mm. And it was just a native application for Mac. And so I kind of looked at that and I was like, why don't we have that, you know, for, for windows? It's just something that works without all the clunky heaviness, you know, and, and just sluggish, um, user experience. So yeah, it kind of started with that. So I was in at this time before, you know, starting to build Mailbird, I was at the time working at a um, software company. Um, I was there for about a year before I quit and decided to fully pursue Mailbird. Mm. And I basically, so my day would be like, okay, I I would get up, you know, 530 in the morning, get ready, go to work, and then come back. And then I would, I would work on Mailbird, like until, you know, one in the morning. And then I'd get up the next morning and start my full-time job again. <laughs> like, wow. So I was already do it, working on Mailbird um, from the, you know, when I was right. still, ha- when I still had a full-time job. Right, and right. eventually, yeah, when, you know, I was having a lot of correspondence via email as well as, you know, video and, and chat meetings um, with the two guys that little did I know I was actually going to be starting this company with. Um, and yeah, we just decided, Hey, let's, let's meet in Bali. Like, cause one of them was there already. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty good here. Like we can kind of just sit and brainstorm and figure everything out and make a, our first business plan, you know, for this. Mm, mm. All right. Sounds good. But, um, so the whole concept of it really is, is just a mishmash of timing in terms of where I was in my professional career, things that were going on with email. All, all three of us had major frustrations with email management and frustrations with not having a really epic tool hmm. to use to manage it. So, yeah, so that's... That's how it came about. That's, yeah. So are you, are you technical? Are you, you, know, you said you work for a software company. Are you a programmer? Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. I wish I was. I did take two programming classes in college. Right. But I did not pursue the IT um, right. industry in that way. Right. However, um, when it comes to technology, obviously, if you're not at some level, you know, mm. in, incorporating it into your life, whether at work or at home, it's kind of like, okay, what are you what doing? Are you doing? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What you're, you're living so, under a stone. So, I mean, in that setup between the three of you, what sort of is everybody's role? I mean, what, what are you doing that? Are you sort of the front facing element of it? I'm just curious in, in a three, yeah. it's often, you know, I don't know. I mean, how's it break down? fell in a place really easily. So the two other guys that I started the company with, they both come from a more technical background. Mm. So they like one of them is our CTO. So he is very full on, you know, engineering all the way. Um, super sharp guy. And then the other guy, he kind of also had some background in software engineering, um, but he also had some background in finance as well. So he was kind of like helping with the business plan and like figuring out, you know, how to set this up and, and sell the software. And then there was me. I was very heavy on marketing and communications and setting up systems um, for the company mm. um, in order for us to grow and also, yeah, basically get more users and hire more people to, to grow the Mailbird team. Okay. So I naturally fell into the role um, as a CEO and I am 
I am like, as, as I am talking with you right now, I am usually the one that people come to, um, when they have questions that they want to know our story. Mm. Um, yeah, I am kind of like the front person for the company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it needs, it needs one of everybody. Right. So, I, I guess mean, so, yeah. okay. And you, I didn't know, I mean, if, if you sort of alluded to it, but how, how you, I know you mentioned that you were talking to these guys before your co-founders, before you actually set up the business and there was a relationship there and then you moved out to Bali and so on. Yeah. But how did you originally all meet did you know each other were you friends were you contacts no. or no uh, total strangers um so me and one of the guys had a mutual friend um and i was i was actually chit-chatting with you know our mutual friend and he had started his own his own tech company and so i was chit-chatting with him and i was like oh that's so awesome like it'd be so like great to do something like that um, and he was like, well, actually I, I have another friend that's done this before and is, is looking at maybe right. starting a new company. So maybe I should introduce you guys. So the conversation just kind of got started that way. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Nothing super but, out of the ordinary in that sense, but yeah, that's how we met. That part is not super out of the ordinary, but moving to Bali is super out of the ordinary. Yeah. So <laughs> what could have happened in between? What, what point did you realize actually, firstly, you know, you were working, like you said, some crazy hours. You finish at one in the morning, getting up at five and so on. At what point did you realize I'm going to do this full time? And then also at what point did you realize I'm going to, you know, pack my bags and go to Bali? What, what point did those make sense to you? Well, for one, I, I was like, what am I doing in Ohio still? <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, my plan always has been to at some point go back to Asia since that's kind of where I, I, I grew up and I was exposed to it. Um, and to pursue something in international business and technology. So that was always something that I, I wanted to do. And, you know, a lot of times when you settle down in one place, you kind of just kind of get stuck and you're just like, oh, why am I here? But I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. So I, it, it was, just, I don't know what it was, but I just had like, just, I guess one day an epiphany, like, okay, what do you want to do now? You know, what, mm. what would, what would make things more epic in your life? Um, and yeah, I, I decided I wanted to start my own company. Mm. Um, you know, there's all this like buzz going on in San Francisco and in the tech world. Like all these tech startups are booming everywhere. All kinds of people are talking about the lean startup methodology and all this stuff. So there was this like pretty fast growing, intense culture of startups. Um, and I think also that a lot of times this stems from when, you know, an economy is in a downturn or whatever. So I, it was just all these different elements kind of came into place. And I sat down one day and I kind of, you take control of your life and say, what do I want to do now? And I decided I was going to go to Bali and start my first tech company. Right. So there you go, as you do. But why didn't you go to the Valley? Because you could have made a go of it in the Valley and you, I'm sure you would have walked into some easy funding as well. You could have joined an accelerator program there. Was that not an option for you? Of course it was an option, but that's the circumstances for meeting um, each other based on timing, you know, logistics and everything. It just so happened to work out that it was in Bali. Right. Um, we'd have, we did talk about like later down the line, you know, like probably like year two after starting the company um, of potentially relocating everyone on the team to San Francisco. Mm. And then we started thinking about that more and more. We're like, why would we do that? You know, it is so oversaturated there. Yeah. It's expensive um, to, you know, have your whole company, especially if you're international, um, you got to get visas for everyone and office, like all this stuff. It gets very pricey. So we were like, 
we're looking at some other companies out there, like the the guys behind WordPress Automatic, mm. um, GitHub as well, which is like a depository for um, developers to push their their code and stuff. And they all have the same setup. They all have a setup where they can literally work from anywhere in the world for the same company. Yeah. Um, you even see big corporates do it, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They're learning, so, aren't they? I mean, Buffer, yeah. I think Buffer is a good example as Buffer well. Buffer is another one. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, and they, no. it, it, it's not just about cost as well. There's something else, isn't there, that we're learning. I think that's what corporates are sort of looking at. It. It's not just about cost savings. I mean, you know, sticking a team yeah. in Bali yeah. or Chiang Mai, your burn time is going to increase by a, a significant factor. But there's something else as well, isn't there, that, you know, maybe they'll be happier. Or, yeah, that's a big, you know, yeah. God forbid. Actually, that's maybe going to be the key to retaining talent, isn't it? I mean, it's a conversation we have a lot here on Asia Tech Podcast is that, you know, uh, oh, yeah. that, you know, there's a lot of talent coming into Asia right now and, and some of it's working remotely and some people are mm-hmm. choosing to sort of be in the similar situation to you, but maybe working for another company. Exactly. And I, I think people are afraid, like, oh, no, if we, if we send you out to Bali and work there, then, you know, you'll go native. You're not going to do anything. <laughs> right, right. It'd be like something out of Apocalypse Now, you know, that sort of exactly. thing. So, okay. I mean, but even you're talking about, I mean, on the cost side as well, I mean, thinking about relocating mm-hmm. to San Francisco, I spoke to um, Carl Ellicott who, from Read Right, who was on the yeah. show recently, and he yeah. he's based in San Francisco, but comes out to Asia a lot. And we were talking about, there was an article um, in Business Insider, and they were talking about the... Um, the lives of software engineers in Silicon Valley. And there was mm, one, a, yeah. la- a lady who worked for Google who lived, you get this, and my geography ain't great, but she lived in Bend, Oregon. And she commuted okay. to San Francisco, right? Not wow. every day because it was a 10 hour drive, yeah. but yeah. you know, she would finish wow. work on Friday and drive all the way back. And I thought, well, you know, the first $5,000 of your of your paycheck is going to go on rent, right? In a place. Exactly. Yeah. It's just wow. insane. But there must be a lot of people now, I mean, yeah. in, in your network or people sort of, you know, a couple of mm-hmm. degrees removed now thinking, well, if I moved to a place like Bali, imagine, you know, what that would do for me. Are you finding yeah. more people now sort of given the crazy situation of how the Valley is and, you know, what's going on in the rest of the world, people are like looking at you and thinking, how do I do that? Yeah, no, definitely. So like, I've had a lot of my, my friends that have also, um, they're either working with, you know, a tech startup, um, all over the world or in San Francisco, but a lot of them, there people that are not in San Francisco have this, there's like this idyllic austere kind of like the idea of what it would be like to run your company, you know, your tech company from San Francisco. Right. Um, a lot of people are you like, you have to be there. You have to have an office. You have to have your whole team there because if you're going to be, if you plan on raising any kind of money from venture capitals, um, guys, then that's where you need to be, you know? Mm. So there's all these different, like, inputs coming at you constantly. But then when you kind of just, you know, mute all of those and just build your company, like stop listening to all what all these people are saying, you should do this, you should do that. This is how you're going to be successful. Like just, you know, your business the most, you know, if it, it, maybe it doesn't work for you to have, you know, your team, part of your team living in Bali, part of your team living in, you know, South Africa, who mm. knows where. Um, I it just, I think it just depends. Like a big part of, you know, when, when I started building the team was cultural fit. So the one cool thing about when you're hiring is that if you don't have one, if you don't limit your hiring pool to one particular geographic location, you open up the doors to some amazing talent. Mm. Like 
you open up the doors like tremendously. So I've gotten some of the most incredible people to join us. Um, and it's simply because they, they like the team, they like the product and they like the freedom as well, you know, to be able to work from anywhere. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I definitely think people see that as a benefit as well. So the whole San Francisco thing is it's, it is what it is. I don't know. You know, I guess it, it, people want to be where, where all the action is. And right, right, right. Fear of missing out, that, I think. Freedom. Right, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when you talk about the freedom to work wherever, you know, the freedom to work wherever they want, does, I mean, for example, in your team, do they have to come to Bali or do you have people all over the world? Um, so I have people all over the world. So one of the things, though, that, that I, I try to do is organize kind of like one month, kind of like a, we call them like mailbird hackathons, but in the end, it's usually we have some big milestones that we want to get done. And it's a time that the team actually gets to sit together. Right. Uh, a lot of times live together, um, eat together, all of that for like a full month. Um, so I do that. And in Bali. I think in Bali. It, but, you know, I'm like, well, maybe we do it in Europe next time. You know, so um, no, we're still no. small enough. That we <laughs> but I mean, it doesn't require much arm twisting to get people to come to Bali, right? I mean, of course not. Yeah. I mean, compare that to sort of flying <laughs> to, you know, Chicago or some healthy yeah. northern European city where it's gray and right. rainy, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, so, so how do you, I mean, you, one of the things you mentioned, Andrea, which I, I find interesting, you talk about that focus to sort of mute the world. I mean, because you don't live in the valley you don't, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously activities increasing in Bali, but still, you know, there's still something which is not startups in Bali and there's a big, you know, there's a culture yeah. there and there's a life there yeah. and you, you could get along without seeing any startups, you know, in Bali. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And does that, what, what does that do for you in terms of when you're doing, you know, running your business that, you know, you're not surrounded by people talking about lean startups and, you know, all that kind of stuff or meetups and so on. Do, do you consciously try and, keep yourself focused and away from that? Or, I mean, how does it work for you on a no, day-to-day basis? actually, it's surprisingly, it's, I get into a lot of these types of conversations here. Um, whether people are actually, you know, starting up a tech company or not, you know, there a lot of people that are doing any kind of work on their own, making their own money, like anything with technology, they've kind of consumed this because it's been pushed into our faces so much, especially from Silicon Valley. <laughs> Um, so I do actually have these conversations quite a lot with people here, which is, which is interesting, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think, I think people are just curious about it, but also they're kind of like, well, I'm doing my thing, you know, like, so. Mm. And do you, I mean, I mean, it's such a beautiful island as well. And it's, like you say, talk about Bali time. It's quite chilled out. Do you, do you ever sort of wonder if it's, dulling your aggressive you know like uh entrepreneurial drive do you ever sort of wonder is that you know you know if you were to go back to new york for example you're going to see a whole different world right, like, people right, shouting right, at right. each other and it's yeah. all that sort of in your face hustle and so yeah. on which is very very different isn't it yeah but maybe that's what is needed in a startup i don't know i mean do you find that that's sort of lacking in any way um hmm, that's interesting that's an interesting question because i think it just depends on how you manage your sense of urgency when you're, when you're building a company. But like, you know, the first two years of Mailbird, like I, I had major burnout, you know, I was just like, I talked about before I started actually doing Mailbird full time when I still had the full time job with the software company. Um, Mm. you know, I was, I was getting up working a full time job and then going home and working till late hours on Mailbird. So that actually didn't stop except I was doing like, you know, early mornings Mailbird all the way till like two in the morning Mailbird. (laughs) So, um, yeah. I, it, you, 
you when you, I think if you're surround yourself with people who have the same drive as you to kind of like push things forward, then you stay motivated. That doesn't go to say that. I mean, you know, this was two years ago. Today, it could, I could say we're very different. Um, today, mm. you know, we do take care and time to make sure that like all of our team members don't work like the way I did, you know, the first two years of Mailbird because it's not healthy. It's like, yeah, you don't want to burn out. So we actually do like encourage everyone to like set some time aside to, you know, learn something or to do some physical activity just to like, you know, keep moving. Because I mean, that has to come first before, you know, work at at some level if you're going to perform and get something done. Yeah. But, you know, you're not sort of all like just doing yoga every day though, right? I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, the the image really... I suppose mm-hmm. it's the stereotype, it is, yeah. you know, like we talked about digital nomads. You, I think you go to any digital nomad blog and I, I you know, I guarantee <laughs> within a few minutes you'll find, you know, the, somebody sitting with a laptop on a beach. That'll yeah. be one or swinging, swinging in a hammock. Which is I mean, like total crap. Like, <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> like you called it, but you're absolutely right. It's crap. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think that's sort of the dream, but the reality yeah. is, is that people who want to make stuff want to make stuff and you know, they want to get down and work pretty damn hard. Yeah. You know, that may be on a beanbag under a, you know, a coconut tree, but still, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're, they're working pretty hard. I mean, do you put in, I mean, how, how do you find yourself in sort of managing your time in, in Bali? What sort of hours do you put in on an average? Um, it, it actually changes. It's, it's, I do have a, a form of routine, you know, like I, I get up in the morning, I maybe go, you know, take a walk on the beach or run on the beach or something. And then I come in, I have breakfast. I got to work. Like, I, I, I mean, I do all the normal things I think I would do if I was working for a full-time corporate, you know, mm. company. Um, but the thing that's a little more flexible, I guess, in this current setup is the fact that I have to be almost available 24 seven because I have customers who are, you know, paying for Mailbird and team mm. members that are distributed all over the world. So you are a little bit more, you know, you have to be more available and flexible in that sense. Um, we have like a team meeting every Monday and it's with everyone all over the world. For me, I, the meetings go from 9 PM to 11 PM every Monday for other people. Mm. It's like 6 AM to, you know, 8 AM. So it, Mm. you have to be flexible, I think in, in some sense, but yeah, I mean, that doesn't go to say that, you know, the whole concept of, uh, workplace happiness is, is something that's also being studied more and more in, in social sciences, like in universities, because it's something that's been neglected. If you look at like some of these bigger companies from back in the, I mean, look at our parents, you know, like a lot of our right. parents, they, they got their job right out of school and they had that job until they retired. Um, exactly. the generation now is like, I don't like this next, you know, <laughs> I don't, yeah. they're not going to settle for something that they're not happy with. It's just a different mindset. It's a different generation. It's a different way of, you know, taking control of your own life. And again, the main culprit here is, is technology. I mean, people can make money online now, so you can do it from anywhere. So that's, I think, the main difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you make that scalable? Because, you know, mm-hmm. this is going to be the challenge, isn't it? I mean, how, how many people are you now in Melbourne in your complete team? God, how many do we have now? I think it's 12, no, 13, 13. 13. Okay. So, I mean, obviously I I imagine you thought about the scalability of Mm -hmm. that because Mm -hmm. obviously a key part of this is you Mm -hmm. because, you know, you are a key figure in the relationship with the the customers as well, because you're not just sort of 
talking to customers, you're also getting all the kind of insights that, you know, you're, when you have those conversations with the customers and, you know, if you 10X to your customer base, you know, you would be back to sort of working your, you know, if you didn't make a change, you'd be back to working those kind of crazy hours that you were doing oh, before, you know? Yeah. So how do, what do you, have you made a conscious decision not to grow or, you know, if you're going to grow it, you're going to kind of put in some kind of transition plan? How are you going to do that? Um, definitely transition plans. Um, so, and that is going to be weighted based on, yeah, obviously the growth and the need of, of new team members to join us to help with the workload. Um, so one thing before is that like, we try to keep, you know, the, the team structure as flat as possible. Like we never wanted it to be like, okay, you have these three co-founders, uh, you know, chief executive officers um, for this company and they're barking all the orders down to everyone that they hired. Like we wanted to remove that as much as possible. Um, so initially, of course, when we were much smaller, like we were a team of five, like, yeah, the three of, of us, like me and my two um, co-founders, we were kind of like calling the shots and, and sorting things out, but trying to get people in, involved as well. Um, so yeah. naturally as, as we grow and 13 is not even that big, but I'm already starting to think about a new structure for the company based on this. Um, but like now we have a t- t- three different like teams or departments, you can call it within Mailbird. So we have like software engineering, we have the customer happiness team, and then we have the growth and marketing team. So now that I have these three more defined teams within each team, there's kind of someone who leads and manages that team. So it's, it's, you do kind of restructure a little bit and we're still a really, you know, it's a very small team considerably speaking, mm. you know? So mm. let's say we hit 50 people, you know, next year or whatever, then for sure I'm gonna have to make some changes again. So I think the transition has to come slowly and, and with careful thought. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious about this customer happiness team. Cause when I hear that, I, it puts a smile on my face <laughs> because, you know, it, I think, it's definitely a step in the right direction. What What is the, the idea behind that? How did that come about? Well, um, I mean, in the end, you know, one of the thing I, things I think that differentiates us from many other like communication software companies is Ooh. our effort that we put into getting back to our customers and making sure they have the best damn experience from the first touch point they have with us all the way till the very end and, and for many years to come. So that team is fully dedicated to that. And how do they do that? So, do they yeah. have tools which, okay, just I'll let you explain. Yeah, what do no, they do? So it's, it's just a, a number of different things. It's following up right after someone, you know, um, decides to download the software, let's say, and yeah. saying, Hey, how are you doing? Is there anything I can help you? I mean, it, it's kind of typical customer support stuff that you would do with most other companies, I guess. Um, but I think the the main thing is the fact that we actually are getting back to every single, you know, customer, yeah. um, support email or ticket or whatever request. And in return, we're also getting people that are like rating us now online and it's great. So that's been incredible for us. But in the end, it's just like, yeah, you have customers, this is your bread and butter, you know, in order for your business to survive, you have to have your happy customers. So this team, that's why we decided to have this team um, fully dedicated to that. They're also quick to reply. Um, So, you know, sometimes you send like a a support ticket to your bank or something and you don't hear back for like a week. Forget it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we try to do yeah, it within yeah. 24 hours. Um, so it's not and you, you don't know if it's a, a, a chat bot as well talking to you. Oh, so that's, that's the other thing. That's great. You can do that though. It's automated, but a lot of times you just want to talk to a person, right? Yeah. Like the personal yeah, feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I mean, when you talk about customer happiness and then you say, you know, it's simply getting back to somebody. I know that sounds like, well, that's not customer happiness, but you know, I think it is really, you know, the simple things mean a lot and they're often overlooked and, you know, um, go back to somebody like Tony Shea and Zappos, you know, delivering happiness yeah, yeah, exactly. and which, you know, his, his philosophy was a lot of it was very simple touches make a big difference. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, you don't have a customer happiness is not sort of, you know, like calling up a customer and, you know, serenading them <laughs> on the phone yeah. with like, you know, it's not sort of the gimmicky stuff, is it? But just doing the common things uncommonly well. Exactly. And I think that's, that's so yeah. important, isn't it? Yeah. But you have to, you have to create a process and you have to structure that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by creating a team as well. I'm curious, do you, do you, I mean, you've talked about ratings as well. I mean, how, how do you measure that team? Do you, you know, how, how do you say, oh, are we making the customers happy? How do you actually quantify that? Yeah, there's actually, so with the support, um, third-party support tool that we use to engage with customers when they have questions or need help with something or whatever, um, there are metrics to measure how fast you reply to them. So that's measured. Um, there's also a customer satisfaction rating. Um, so after a customer obviously is helped with anything, they rate us to see how well we did. So we get that feedback as well. So if it's not so good, okay, we need to make some changes and find out why. Um, mm. So there's different things like that. There's also like an NPS survey, which gives us like so, a yeah. rating of... Net promoter score for those. Ex- that sorry, know, yeah, right? exactly. Net promoter score. So there's a lot of different ways to measure it. And, and then on top of that, obviously, yeah, reviews, um, any reviews that we get. We actually collect all the reviews because it's so nice to actually hear, you know, when all the work that we put into it, you know, someone actually recognizes it and appreciates it. So, right. Yeah. And what do you do if you get a one star review and you're going to get them because oh, everybody gets yeah. them, right? How do you deal with that? Uh, yeah. You know, you can't make everyone happy. I mean, I think every business owner mm. will tell you that. Um, sometimes it's just not the right person for what you're selling or what solution you're, you're providing. So, right. with that, you know, we, we, we kill people with kindness, no matter what, you know, in the end, life is too short to, to, (laughs) you know, bicker with someone over something like this. I mean, it's just like, okay, we understand, you know, this just wasn't the right fit for you, but here's some suggestions we might have for you that, you know, maybe you could try something else. So like, we'll go to the lengths of even suggesting our competitors to a customer. So I think it's absolutely the right thing to do and to say, you know, that it's not for everybody as well as to accept that as well. You you can't, you know, you're not, trying to win every single vote, no, are yeah. you? you know, I'm not going to make political... something up yeah, either. Like, I'm not yeah, going to exactly. be like, well, you'd misunderstood because... Like, no, no, yeah. no, no. That, you know, that's a losing game exactly. as well. But that's really interesting to see. So I'm curious, like, you know, how do you, given you're uh, a distributed company in a sense that you have people all over the world and you, you have this focus on happiness as well, which is fantastic. And, you know, focus on net promoter score. And for those that don't know, go and check it out. I'm, you know, it's, uh, I guess, based on recommendation, isn't it? How much would you recommend exactly. Mailbird yeah. to a friend, mm-hmm. right? It's a simple score, isn't it? One, one to 10, isn't it? Yeah. So and you can measure it going up or measure it going down. So who, when you recruit, who, who do you look for? What kind of qualities do you, I mean, beyond the obvious qualities, right. but is there something special that it takes a certain type of person to work well in this setup 
you know, you know, they could be in a different time zone and they could be yeah. working on this kind of, you know, they could be working in the happiness team compared to somebody, you know, who may gravitate towards, you know, let's say working in a call center or working in a software company mm-hmm. in the Valley. Mm-hmm. Is it certain qualities you look for that you can identify? Definitely. Um, this is actually a good time that you're asking this question right now, because we, I just hired a, a new UX designer. Ooh. And we went, I mean, we had like 80 applicants within the first two weeks of publishing the job vacancy. And yeah, so when we do, when we start evaluating um, candidates, when we're recruiting someone to join the team, especially when you're a small team, especially when you're a startup, because these first people are so critical to the success of your company. Yeah, um, yeah. We put a lot of time into it. So the first step is we, which is like so critical is a cultural fit interview. Mm. Um, so that is first to kind of understand who this person is. What do they do? What are they into? You know, it's not like we could say like, okay, 60% of the mailbird team loves to travel or whatever. Like it doesn't mean that this person has to like to travel too or whatever, but you know, what, what, what are they doing? What, what, are they excited about what do they do? What, what gets them going? So understanding that understanding their work ethic as well. Um, Mm. so yeah, I mean, I, I've been with all of the people on my team for, you know, several years now. And so I know the type of person it takes to be able to integrate with the company and be on the same page when it comes to, you know, developing and building the business. So, so, um, yeah, that's, so that's the first thing. The second part is they do a skills test to evaluate, you know, yeah, how are they actually going to execute the work that we would ask them to do? And so if they pass that, then they make it to the final stage, which is the final interview. And it's usually with me and, uh, one of the other, um, co-founders. And from there we decide whether or not we want them to join. So that's not, it doesn't end there. So we ask them to join. So let's say they pass everything with flying colors we still do a three month probationary period with each new team member. So in the case that we have someone, they you know were amazing on paper and in all their interviews, but then when it comes down to them actually working with the team and interacting with the team and communication and follow-up and all of this stuff, if they can't hack it in the first three months, it's you can pretty much clearly see it within the first you know couple of weeks if someone's gonna fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that's what we do because we really protect that. You know, that's that's a major part of why we have such an amazing team and why people are so happy working with Mailbird. It's because we, we really take a lot of care and, and effort in bringing in the right people. So Right. So I guess people want to know is that, is that I mean, can you do that without that candidate rocking up to Bali? Can all of this be done remotely? Because there must be people in a similar situation, whether they're candidates as well, but also mm-hmm. building businesses thinking, right, Andrew has obviously put a, a strong focus on culture and, mm-hmm. you know, growing that sort of DNA of the business with the right people, the right team and so on. But, you know, my instincts tell me, and, you know, I could be wrong, that you have to meet those people face to face to know whether or not they're BSing you, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, people polish up pretty well for interviews and presentations. So how do you deal with that? Because that must be, you know, because it's such an important part of Melbourne and what you're building there that how can you do that remotely? Well, don't get me wrong. I've had my fair share of learnings of, of, you know, bringing people on board that were not the right fit. Um, And, and you learn, you learn a lot from, from making those decisions. You know what I mean? So 
like everything that I, I described in when we bring a new person on board from, you know, the actual recruiting process all the way to the three month probationary period, it's a mm. combination of all of it, you know, like do the other team members even like this person? Do they enjoy working with them? That's a big part yeah. of it as well. Um, how are they performing in terms of executing the things that they said they were going to execute? You know, I mean, really cutting through all the, basically the bullshit, you know, that, that sometimes is fed to you when you're, when you're looking for people and they're just like, here, I'm trying to impress you. So yeah, yeah it, it's just, you, you just figure it out. I mean, you just, once they're actually in the hot seat and they're actually doing their job, you figure out whether or not it's going to be a good fit. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so the one thing that I stress to anyone is availability because of the distributed setup, being available to your team, um, kind of like, you know, when, whenever, um, and all of us kind of embrace this culture. And the other thing is just communication has to be super sharp, super tight, because yes. again, you're not face to face with people. You can't just be like, Oh, Hey, da, da, da. I mean, communication is, is very, very critical and, and regular communication also is, is an important part. You have to talk yeah, to yeah. people that you're working with, even though they're like thousands and thousands of miles away, you know? <laughs> So, yeah, we, we don't we don't sort of realize, do we? Because, you know, I mean, I can't sort of lean over the desk and say, hey, Andrew, no. take a look at this yeah. because you're not there. So yeah. you kind of have to go the extra yard to structure that in a way and yeah. impress that upon people because otherwise it, it lapses, doesn't it? So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, guess, I guess what I want to ask you is that, you know, I mean, if, if you threw a lot of money at the problem of, you know, building a team. And oh, whether it's a problem, it's fun, I'm sure. But, you know, you're, you're presented with challenges is that, you know, if you threw a lot of money at that, would you choose to put them all in one place? I mean, if money was no object, you know, get your shiny swanky office in Silicon Valley and get all your team in there. Or, or do you find that being remote and being distributed has its own advantages? I mean, given the choice, where do you, which direction do you think you would head? Well, that's a good, see, I, I would say I do what I have the set. I'd have the setup that I have now. Um, so distributed team culture, again, because there's many benefits from it, but at the same time, trying to schedule some time where you do actually have yeah. the team come together to one location face to face, especially when you have big things to work on. So I think a combination of both is a nice balance. Um, I don't think, cause I, you know, when you, when you've worked in a corporate environment and an office with, you know, it's just like Google has reinvented obviously the way the office feels and it's a huge corporate company. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's just like a cool corporate company. So even they have kind of reinvented things, um, in a sense, but I mean, for us, I, I, I think the way we've set everything up has, has been very successful for us. Um, and doing a combination of both, I think would be great. So I wouldn't necessarily get one shiny office with and have everyone come to that one office with, if money was no object. Um, mm. I think I would still have the current setup the way we have it. Um, and then probably have like, you know, a couple times a year, just everyone come together to one location. We rent an office or whatever the case is for that time. I agree. It's the best thing to do. Or maybe a shiny office in Changu. That's possible <laughs> somewhere in Bali. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There you go. Options all on the table. Andrew, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and an inspiration as well with what you're doing with Melbourne and your team based out of Bali, Indonesia. And I'm sure people listening to your story will be inspired to 
do likewise. Do like Andrea. So, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, you know, you've planted the seed now, so you are responsible for <laughs> change. <laughs> All those people staring out of the office window now thinking, oh, I wonder what Barney <laughs> will be like this time of year. So you have done that. You're responsible. Um, I'm sure people want to find out more about you. Where's the best place to start that they can go and find out about you, your story, your background, your company online? Yeah, um, I, you can pretty much find me on any social platform out there. So I'm on Google Plus, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, right. you name it. So you can find me anywhere there. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you can also contact me just via email. That is what we do at Mailbird. So um, if anyone has any questions about anything, um, based on how we've set everything up for Mailbird, like I'm happy to answer. But yeah, it's just my initial. So al at getmailbird.com. Very good. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on to Asia Tech Podcast and sharing your story with us. And we would love it. You come back on in the future and, and share an update on the journey of Melbourne we, because yes. you're a growing team. <laughs> yes. I'll be fascinated to find out because, I mean, you really are the future of work. So, you know, we look at you as, you know, the, the vanguard really of what's sort of happening to these distributed companies. So how you grow would be a good indication of how other companies grow in this situation. So please keep us updated. For sure. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.